following sermon was recorded at Chiang Mai Christian Fellowship in Chiang Mai, Thailand. For more information, please view our website at www.ccfth.org. We worry, and rightly so, that we make Jesus too human, right? That we somehow fail to recognize who Jesus was as God. And that's vitally important because Jesus was not just a good teacher. He, just, he was not just a religious leader. He came fully as God. And so it's very important that we emphasize and stress his deity. But the problem in doing this is that we get, we get so focused on what Jesus is as God that we, we really make him less than fully human, right? less than fully, fully man. And, and here's the reality. You cannot in your imagination or thinking or view or concept of Jesus, you cannot make him too human. Okay? And it's important that we not make him not fully human. Uh, how do we do that? Well, it's hard because we read about Jesus' life, and Jesus did some really amazing and cool stuff, right? Because some of you kids who are here this morning who don't get to go to Sunday school, can you help me tell me some of the stuff, cool stuff Jesus did? Can you help me out? What did Jesus do that was pretty much, like, big? Anybody know? Yeah. He healed the sick and, and raised the dead. That's right. What else? Yeah. He fed 5,000 with, like, a truckload of, glo- truckload of groceries, Right. No, with just two fish and five loaves of bread, right? What else? Aiden. He walked on water. That's right. Those are some pretty big things, right? Those are some big things and others that he did that were not the normal human activity. And I remember as a kid, I was convinced I was going to make this work, this whole walking on water thing, you know. And I thought, and I realized I couldn't make it like all the way across the pool, but I thought if I was fast enough, I could at least get one step, you know. I could like run fast enough and make one or two steps before I started to sink. I couldn't even get one, you know. The first step, was to the bottom, right? It's impressive that Jesus did these huge things, big things. And so we think, well, he, was not, he may have been a human, but he was not a human like us. He was a human of a different sort. Maybe he was not so much human as he was superhuman. But to, to think that way is to really miss the point of what, what, what it meant for Jesus to be born, uh, to come into this world as a real person. And he did all those things, but Jesus never did anything that was not um, out of the realm of what is actually possible for us. And I'm not saying God will ever allow us to, to, to walk on water. Probably none of us will feed 5,000. But he did those things not because he was God. He did those things, well, he did it because he was God, but he did, not, he did, he did it as a, as a human being, empowered by the Holy Spirit. Right? We get this idea that because he was God, he could do things naturally and easily uh, that we can't. But, but the reality is that he operated fully as a human. And what he did that was miraculous, he did not as the second person of the Trinity, but because he was empowered by the Holy Spirit. Right? So, so literally, the things that were available to Jesus to do are, in some level, available for us to do. Because right? uh, he was fully human. Uh, he started off 
as a single cell in his mother's womb. It began to grow just like every other baby grows in the womb. He was born and he had to learn to crawl and to sit up and to walk and to talk. Eventually he went to, to first grade and he had to learn how to read and write, right? He had to take spelling tests, right? Just like we did, right? He uh, had to learn to, to read and write and do math and, 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 and navigate and negotiate life every bit the way you and I do. Uh, Jesus, as a human being, experienced life like us. Um, you know, what, what was life like for you as a kid, right? Uh, what did you encounter when you were a child? Or some of you kids who are here, what are the, some of the things that you have to deal with that are not always so fun? When I think back of my childhood, I had some great adventures, a lot of fun, also some kind of sad things. Uh, I remember when I was in kindergarten, one of the most traumatic events of kindergarten, one of many, was on one very cold uh, Colorado wintry day. We were out playing on the playground, and I got, I don't know how, I, don't laugh, well, you'll laugh. I got my tongue stuck to the pole on the slide, <laughs> right? And the unfortunate, really unfortunate thing is this happened just as the teacher blew the whistle for recess, and everybody else ran inside. And I was out here stuck with my tongue on the pole, right? And finally some teacher saw me out here and, you know, felt sorry for me, right? Uh, how do you do that? I don't even know. I don't even know. Um, you know, when I was at school growing up uh, with a name like Dunham, there's a lot of cruel ways that kids can turn my name into all kinds of fun things. You know, like I was called Dumham, Dumb Dumb. I even had a track coach who called me Tim Dumman, right? My track coach, right? Kids have a, a knack and a genius, a gift for all children to, to pick somebody's name apart and make fun of it, right? We all know the pain of that, right, of being picked on. Um, uh, we uh, oftentimes get wrongly accused. Have you ever been wrongly accused of something you did not do? I remember when I was in about third grade, we were out on the playground playing again. Thankfully, there was, it, was, it was warm. My tongue, I learned that lesson about the whole tongue thing. Um, playing on the playground, and uh, me and my friend were chasing a ball, and somehow we got tangled up with each other, and we tripped, and we just both fell on the ground and just tumbled over each other in this tangled ball of arms and legs, right? Well, the teacher who was the playground on playground duty, you know, playground police, just happened to look and see us, not at the first part where we tripped, but she just saw us rolling on the ground, and she assumed we were fighting, Right? So she picks us up by the ear, you know, drags us to the principal's office. My first and only time, I promise, in the principal's office. And we're sitting in the principal's office, uh, and I have no idea what's going on, but uh, going to the principal, he says, so you boys were fighting. And my friend, instead of going, well, no, that's not it at all. We were just wrestling and we tripped. He said, yeah, and he started it. (laughs) And... uh, he had actually been to the principal's office, and he was quite experienced. He knew how this worked, right? And I had no clue, and I just sat there going, uh, and the principal says, is that right? And I'm just like, because uh, I didn't know what to say, right? Because now I'm realizing if I say, no, we tripped and fell, it's going to sound like some kind of lame excuse, right? So we got in trouble for, uh, for nothing, right? Well, uh, 
granted, Jesus may, may never have got his uh, tongue froze to a pole, um, but he dealt with all the things that we do growing up as kids and as young adults and as teens and as, and as adults. Right? He got picked on for being different. Uh, he was wrongly accused. Uh, he got in trouble for things he didn't do. He had to develop and coordinate and uh, develop his coordination and his mental abilities and skills. He experienced life like we did. Right? Uh, the only difference is that, of course, he never sinned. Um, but sin does not make us more human. Right? Actually, our sin robs us of humanity. And so in that sense, not was he human. He was actually fully more human than we are because he never sinned. But he was constantly tempted and struggled with the same temptations we struggle with day after day. But he never gave in. Uh, so he was a real person, okay, a real person just like us. Not only that, but he lived in a real family. And while he never sinned, he was constantly surrounded by people who were sinners. Right? His family, his friends, uh, his disciples, everywhere he went, he was in a world where everyone else sinned, even though he did not. And his family had its struggles and its dysfunctions. Uh, notice how he started off. Verse 19, her husband Joseph, being a just man and unwilling to put Mary to shame, resolved to divorce her quickly. But as he considered these things, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream, saying, Joseph, son of David, do not fear to take Mary as your wife, for that which is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. So when Joseph woke from his sleep, he did as the angel of the Lord commanded and took, him, uh, took Mary as his wife. Um, Mary is found to be pregnant before Mary and Joseph come together in, in the official marriage, right? Um, the word found there means it was discovered. And we don't really know. The Bible does not say how Joseph found out. But the word there says that he was found, it was discovered, right? It kind of gives the impression that Mary didn't actually say anything. And, of course, she had been off uh, visiting her cousin Elizabeth, uh, who was giving birth to, to John's, uh, Jesus' cousin John. She comes back after three months. And, you know, she left this very slender, thin girl she comes back a little, a little overweight, right? And people in the village start asking, you know, is this, like, has she been, like, going crazy on Krispy Kremes? Or is there more to the story here, right? And, of course, time goes by, and it becomes apparent this is more than Krispy Kremes, right? She's obviously pregnant. And we don't know. We don't know. The Bible doesn't say if, if the word just got around to Joseph. Hey, by the way, your girlfriend is, like, your fiancé, actually. She's, like putting on a lot of weight, right? And, and so Joseph uh, has it in his mind to divorce her um, um, because to marry her w would mean that Joseph admitted he was the father, right? Uh, so, of course, he does, and the Holy Spirit clears up things. And, and, and by, by marrying her, by taking her home, Jesus, Joseph is publicly saying, I'm the culprit, right? Now, of course, he knew better. Mary knew better. Maybe their close friends knew better. But the world at large would have seen him as immoral. Right? So Jesus comes into this family with a reputation labeled as one who's born to this couple who were not very holy. Uh, and, and it goes downhill from there for Jesus. You know, his family uh, were not perfect. 
And it's interesting, the few accounts we get of his family life, um, um, you know, things weren't always smooth for Jesus. Uh, when Jesus is 12 years old, he gets left by his parents at the temple. And, the, you know, and have any of you ever left your children? I have. Uh, thankfully, uh, it, I figured it out before three days, right? <laughs> Jesus' parents don't figure out that, he's, that they forgot him for three days, right? That boy, what's, that, what's his name? Yeah, where, where is he, right? Three days, right? And they, they go back to Jerusalem to find him and, uh, and get, get, the, get the picture here. It's, it's really their fault. I mean, they're the parents. They're the ones responsible for Jesus. Then they've lost him, right? So they search Jerusalem and they finally find him in the temple. And here's the scene. Jesus is in the temple, 12 years old, and he is having this raging theological discussion and debate with the chief rabbis and scholars in all of the country. And he is, they, are, they are astonished by his, his wisdom as a 12-year-old, right? Now, if you found your kid, you know, at some theological seminary debating scripture with, like, the best scholars of the day, what would you think? Well, what would Mary and Joseph say? Jesus, where have you been? We lost you. Don't you know how worried we were, right? What were you thinking? Right? And they drag him off. Joseph, you know, kids these days, right? Like, totally missed the point that his son is having this incredible theological debate and discussion with the best scholars of the land. Totally went by him, right? Totally went by him. Jesus was greatly misunderstood by his family. At another point, uh, Jesus says that his, his mother and his brothers uh, go to grab and apprehend Jesus and take him home because they're convinced he's insane, we're pretty sure he's just lost his mind. He's got people everywhere. Jesus has just gone insane. Uh, totally miss what he's doing. Yet again, later at another point, his, uh, his brothers start mocking him, uh, jealous because Jesus has got so much notoriety and it says they do not believe him, right? So I don't care how dysfunctional your family is, Jesus gets it, right? Jesus gets it. Uh, his, his family was not perfect. Right? They had problems. And Jesus lived his life dealing with people who did not understand him. Um, so, so Jesus came as a person, fully human. And the good news for us on all this is that Jesus really does understand you and I. Right? Jesus understands us. There is nothing going on in our life that Jesus does not get because he has lived it out and experienced it personally. Every struggle, every temptation, every pain, every heartache, every disappointment, Jesus understands. He knows the full range of human emotions of sorrow and sadness and grief and joy and despair, of abandonment, of desertion. He knows it. Uh, but, but here's the reality. Not only does he know it, because the reality is God knows everything. So before Jesus came to earth, before he was God with us as a human being, God knew all that. Right? God could look. He knows our thoughts. He knows our feelings. He knows us better than we know ourselves. So it wasn't that this was new information for, for God or for Jesus, that all of a sudden Jesus was going, wow, I had no idea. Okay, he knew those things. But here's the difference. Now through Christ, uh, God with us in Christ, he now can identify with our struggles personally. Personally. Right? He can identify 
in a very real and tangible and personal way what we are going through. This last summer, uh, when I was back in the United States, we were on a road trip across America uh, visiting churches and people, and we stopped at this truck stop in Kansas. Uh, if you've never been to the States, the United States, it's, Kansas is a very agricultural farming community. Uh, is anybody here from Kansas before I insult the state? Okay, good. And th- th- this is proof, actually, because this is proof that people from Kansas never actually leave the state. There's some kind of law there that if you're born in Kansas, you have to stay there the rest of your life. And uh, so we're going to this truck stop in, in Kansas, and we stop at this Taco Bell. Total mistake, actually. But we're, we're there, and uh, we're ordering food. And, and um, we, we got our food, and I went back because we forgot something. So I'm back up at the counter waiting to get some more stuff. And um, right in front of me ordering is this Asian, little Asian guy and his wife. Uh, and at first I thought maybe they were Thai, but uh, I think they were maybe been Laotian or Vietnamese. I'm not sure. But clearly, uh, this was not their home. Like, they, they were not Toto. They were not from Kansas, right? They uh, were not there. And, and he was struggling because he didn't have, like, real perfect English, right? And he was trying to communicate to this lady what he wanted, and he had this huge order. He was ordering for, like, 20 people. Of course he was, right? He's Asian, right? Uh, he's got, and he's trying to put in this order, and this lady on the counter behind him is a 60-plus-year-old Kansas lady. Remember, she's never left the state, right? I don't know that she's left the county, right? And she was super nice, and she was trying to be very helpful, but it was clear that she had no idea what to do with this guy, right? Because he was not from Kansas, right? And he was not speaking English, and she was trying to be nice, but you could tell she had no idea. She could not in the least identify with this guy and his struggle. And it was kind of like, you know, why can't you just speak English? What's wrong with you, right? But I'm watching all this. Do I identify with this guy? Oh, man, do I identify with this guy? I'm like, oh, man, I just wanted to order for the guy because I'm like, oh, I know your pain. I know. I know what it's like to be in a foreign country where you can't speak the language and all you want is, like, cow pot or even worse. You, know, you want cow soy and you get plain rice. Right? I know. I know what this is like. Right? And I, my, my heart went out to this guy, right? Because I could identify with exactly everything he was going through. In fact, I found myself uh, connecting and identifying a lot more with this Asian guy than this American standing across on the other side of the counter, right? Because I have been there. Well, Jesus, God with us, Jesus identifies with your life personally. Because he's been here. He knows what you are going through. And he understands us in a way that is very personal and real. Uh, he, um, he gets your struggle, right? And he even gets and understands the, the mess of sin you are in, right? Not that he approves it, uh, but he understands the temptation and the struggle that, that has captured us and holds us, holds us in bondage. Uh, so, so Jesus came as a real person, But as I said before, uh, that's only half of the equation. And if Jesus is only a real person, not not anything else, um, there's a problem. But but, uh, Matthew is very clear that he was a real person, but more than a real person, more than just uh, a person like you and I. It says, An angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream, saying, Joseph, son of David, do not fear to take Mary as your wife, 
For that which is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. Okay. Jesus uh, was born in a very biological way, but also in a very uniquely spiritual way, as it was the Holy Spirit who put that life into Mary's womb. Uh, he bore the nature of God from birth. He comes to us as God with us, who is eternal God. Uh, he's not just human. He is a mix of fully God, fully man. Now, this is a lot harder one to explain. Uh, how do we grasp and comprehend that the infinite eternal spirit, who is God, without limit, without end, without beginning, how could he squeeze himself into a body that is with beginning, that has an end, and that has tons of limits? Right? How did God do that? I have no idea. Right? Uh, it is something we will never fully grasp or understand. Uh, but let me turn to Paul for some help with explaining what it meant for God, fully God, to be in human form. In Colossians chapter 1, Paul says this, Jesus is the image of the invisible God. In other words, he is the visible, something visible of the God who is invisible. The firstborn of all creation. For by him all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions, rulers or authorities. All things were created through him and for him. And he is before all things, and in him all things hold together. For in him the fullness of God was pleased to dwell. This passage tells us that Jesus existed before everything. So even though he was born as a human... Uh, some 2,000 years ago when, when Mary became pregnant and gave birth to him, he existed infinitely before that as the second person of the Godhead. Right? He was always God the Son. Uh, and it says that he existed before anything and everything was made. And so God the Father, God the Son, the Spirit lived, uh, lived together, existed eternally. Uh, and, and Jesus uh, did not, was not born as a being uh, on Christmas Day, right? He was born as a human, but he'd existed eternally before that. And not only did he exist, but it says that by him everything was made that was made. Um, God the Father is the one who decreed and proclaimed that, that the world would be made, but the agent or the one who actually did the work was Jesus the Son. So he existed before all time, and when uh, when God said, let there be, it was Jesus was the one who was creating the universe. Right? That's, that's Jesus, the second person, the one who squeezed himself into human flesh. Uh, I love it that God put Jesus in the home of a carpenter, right? Because like he, he had experience building things, right? Um, but not only could he have been a carpenter, Jesus could have been a farmer because, as it turns out, he knows how to garden, he could have been an artist because he at times dabbles in art. He could have been a musician. Uh, he taught the birds and the stars to sing. He could have been a mathematician or a nuclear physicist because he has experience doing science experiments with gravity. Right? Uh, he is God, right? creator, uh, maker of everything. And not only does he make it, but it says that he is the force and power that holds it all together. Jesus sustains life. Right? 
He's the one who keeps the whole universe from collapsing into a tiny ball or from expanding and exploding into nothing. How is that possible? I have no idea. Uh, And oftentimes we get bogged down in how this works, right? How did Jesus, when he was a single cell in in his mother's womb, you know, hold the universe together simultaneously. I don't know, right? And we, we, we miss the point if we get too bogged down in trying to figure that one out. Because here's the point. The point is not how God did it, but the point is that, uh, as Paul says in verse 15, he is the image of the invisible God. The point is this, that when God came to be God with us in Jesus, God himself... All of God, all that he is in his nature and being and character, was resident and present in that person, Jesus. Right? Uh, in the Old Testament, in the Ten Commandments and other places, the law strictly for, uh, forbade, uh, prevented the Israelites from creating any kind of image of God. Not only were they not to, to worship idols of other gods, but they weren't to make an idol or a, um, a statue or a painting or a picture that would represent God. So when Aaron made the golden calf, he probably wasn't making a calf, the, the calf to represent a different God, but he was trying to picture what the God of Israel was like. Right? But that was a, a sin. Right? It was a sin because they were never to create any kind of image or picture of God. And the reason for that is nothing was adequate. Right? There's nothing in earth, there's nothing in all of creation that could adequately represent who or what God is. He's beyond all of it. Uh, until Jesus came. Right? Until Jesus came. Uh, Jesus is the image. He is the, the crafted, sculpted uh, image of the invisible God. And there's something in the Israelites that wanted, they wanted to picture something when they thought of God. Right? They wanted to picture a bull because it was strong, or an ox, or a lion. Right? It's kind of like us with school mascots. Right? Nobody has a school mascot of the vapor mist, right? of the ethereal cloud. Right? We want something we can see, something that's got teeth. Right? Well, people, we want God to be like that. We want an image of him. Well, until Jesus, there was no image suitable. But he represents, he captures in his person all that God is as a, as a being, in his, in his character and his nature, as one who is wise and holy and loving and good. Uh, so he is, for us, the image of who God is. So when we want to think about what God is like, we picture who Jesus is and his character and what he did and how he lived. And the point is this. When God came to us, he came in the most personal way possible in Christ. Right Before he was here as spirit, before he was here uh, in the cloud, in glory, now he comes to us in a person. He himself comes to us in the most personal way possible. Um, it says it in Hebrews this way, Long ago and at many times and in many ways, God spoke to our fathers by the prophets. But in these last days, he has spoken to us by his Son, whom he appointed heir of all things, through whom he also created the world. He is, that is Jesus, is the radiance of the glory of God and the exact imprint of his nature. That's who Jesus is. He came 
uh, as God with us, bringing the full picture, full picture of who God is. Right? Um, Friday, on, on this past Friday, uh, Denise and I went down to Bangkok to go to the graduation of one of the Thai kids who, who's lived with us. Uh, and it's, it was really exciting. First kid in her family to ever graduate, even from high school, much less college. And she went and got her bachelor's degree. And uh, she actually received it from the princess. So they're in this hall and thousands, I mean thousands and thousands of students, you know, marching through at about a pace of one per second as the princess is just passing out these, you know, diplomas. Um, But she described what her one second with the princess was like. And afterwards she told me, she said, it was just so amazing. She says, I went and I stood and she handed me and, and I saw her face and I looked right in her eyes and she said she was a real person. <laughs> she said, and her face was like smaller than I pictured. <laughs> and she said she looked at me in her eyes and looked me in the eyes, and she she looked at me as as if I mattered, right? As if I was a person. And in that one second, she turned, you know, because they got this thing like a machine, you know. They turned and walked away. She said she just started crying. Right? She was so moved that she got to to encounter a personal encounter with the princess. Well, Jesus is our personal encounter with God. We encounter the the God of the universe in Christ. Last thing. Let's close with this. Um, It says, An angel of the Lord, let me read one more time. An angel of the Lord appeared to Joseph in a dream, saying, Joseph, do not fear to take Mary as your wife, for that which is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will bear a son... And you shall call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. The angel gave Joseph the name. Um, in Hebrew, it would have been Yeh, Yeh, Yehoshua or Yeshua, right? Um, the English, we, we, we kind of shorten that into Joshua, right? Uh, in, in Aramaic, it was probably Yeshua. In Greek, it's Yesu, right? Uh, Jesus in, in, in our modern English. It means this. It means God or Yahweh saves. And he says, you want to, I want to give, give him that name because that will be his mission. He is God with us as the one who will save us from our sin. Uh, God came to be with sinners. God with us as sinners. The story of Mary and Joseph gives a great picture of what it meant for Jesus to come to be with sinners. As I said, uh, when Mary was found to be pregnant, it created all kinds of problems for Joseph. If he marries her, he admits that he is the father. He knows he is not. He knows she's pregnant. In Joseph's mind, this means only one possibility, right, before before the angel came, right? Before the angel came, there was only one option, Mary, his beloved fiance, had been with another guy. Okay. Now imagine if you imagine, you know, and it's one thing it's one thing to get pregnant before marriage, right? Uh, when it's your fiance, okay, that, that's kind of one thing. It's a whole different thing, though, when your 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 fiance gets pregnant and it's not you, right? Uh, that is um, a huge betrayal of love, right? It is to say, well, I know I'm pledged to you, but I actually love somebody else. 
I don't really love you that much. And that's the picture here. And of course, Joseph, no matter, uh, I mean, in, in any age, that would be a tough one to deal with, right? Uh, who, what, 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 what groom could, could, could carry through with loving a fiancé who was that unfaithful right before your wedding? Right? Uh, but for Joseph, it was even worse than that. Because by Jewish law, it says he was a righteous man. Okay? He was a, a man d- devoted to the law. And under Old Testament law, if his fiancée was found to be immoral, she was unsuitable and unworthy to marry. And it would have actually been a breaking the law for Joseph to marry her. Right? He had to divorce her. Right? It was no option under the law. It wasn't like, well, you know, I think I'm just going to go through with it anyway because... You know, I'm not the best-looking guy, and I'll take what I can get, right? No, not an option, right? He had to divorce her. Um, God came to us as a groom coming for his bride, but we were a bride that was not faithful to him. We were a bride that had pursued many other lovers, had given our love and affection to many other gods. We... Uh, betrayed Jesus, we betrayed God in the worst possible way by our sin and our rebellion against him. And yet, that's how God came to us. He came to us as a groom seeking a bride that was unworthy and unfaithful. And like Joseph, after he encountered the angel, took took Mary home with him immediately. And the same way, Jesus came to take us home as an unfit and unsuitable bride. Um, But in order to do that, he had to purify us. And so he uh, himself did what was necessary to make us clean. Uh, We said that Jesus was fully God, fully human. What that means is Jesus became a man because he wanted to take our place for our guilt and our sin. The only way he could do that was to be like us. Uh, God in, in heaven, God the Father, God the Spirit, no matter how much they wanted to take our place, could never do it as spirit beings. Jesus had to take on human flesh. He had to become one of us. He had to become just like us so that he could step in the place of our punishment and die on the cross in our place so that he could take the full consequence and penalty of sin as a substitute for you and I. And so he came and took on human flesh to do just that, to be our substitute and to die in our place. But if he were only human, that also would not be enough. There's no human, not David, not Moses, not Elijah, not Abraham, Uh, who could be a suitable sacrifice for sin. No matter how much they wanted to, their life was like ours, sinful and flawed. Um, But Jesus, because he was fully God and lived a perfectly righteous and good life, became not only a willing sacrifice, uh, willing to stand in our place, but a sufficient sacrifice who was perfect enough to cover all our sin. If Jesus is not fully 100% man, he cannot really die for us. If he's not fully 100% God, 
then his sacrifice is not sufficient to cover our sin. Because he is both fully God and fully man, he alone is able to save us from our sin. So the last point is simply this. Uh, what does it mean for Emmanuel, God, to be with us? Well, it means that Jesus came as God with us in Christ so that we could be with him forever. Right? That's what it means. God with us. The reality is, up until Jesus came, God was everywhere present. He was with us. He was close to us. He was as near to us as ever. But we were distant from his heart. Sin had put a huge barrier between us and God. And so no matter how close God was to us, we were infinitely separated from him. We were eternally cut off from him and his heart. Jesus came so that we could be not only God with us, but so that we could be with him. This time of year, I know I see... uh, uh, I see family coming back, right? I see college kids coming home. Uh, we all maybe wish that we could go home, right? It's a time when we love celebrating reunions and being home. Uh, Jesus came as God with us so that he could take us to our eternal home with our eternal Father. Uh, we have relationship with God. Uh, not just near him in, in space, but near to his heart, because Jesus came to be God with us. The following sermon was recorded at Chiang Mai Christian Fellowship in Chiang Mai, Thailand. For more information, please view our website at www.ccfth.org.